Hi there, this is Wafala Bedat. You are listening to the Women Power Podcast, a subsidiary platform to the Women Power Summit, the largest event in MENA, with the aim of empowering women and helping them achieve their absolute highest potential. Each week on the Women Power Podcast, you will hear honest, vulnerable, authentic, real conversations from inspiring women. These women will share their experiences and stories into what it takes to build a successful business and career. The podcast will share insight and inspiration and hopefully inspire action and lead change. I really, really am so happy that you're here and, you know, you're able to like join us and just like, you know, give us a peek into your amazing, inspiring life as, you know, um, the super duper like motivating and inspiring woman. So tell me, how are you doing today? First, thank you for having me. I'm really happy and um, and it's such a pleasure to be here and to tell you a bit about uh, my story. Uh, after COVID, it's been crazy, to be honest. I feel it's, it's like a rebound. So most of the people, they just want to live. <laughs> they want to upgrade their lifestyle. Uh, they want to change their homes. They want to go out. So it's on all level, it's a, it's a rebound. Not only on a personal level, but I feel as well, brands even have a rebound so you see there's activations there is events so many things and in terms of work as well my work it's really affected because like everyone wants to upgrade and how did you power through the the, the let's say the two years that were like so difficult for everyone you know with the whole pandemic and stuff how did you pan like just like persevere how did you um you know because being in a space that really requires you to sort of like be out there and like you know you're like um designing you're building you're creating you're doing so much so imagine just being restricted to your house and not being able to do any of that how how did you like power through that honestly um i was very lucky <laughs> because uh, because in exactly before covid um my new house was ready and we moved in and then covid happened so for me it was really a slowdown and a nice period to enjoy my house, to enjoy my family, to enjoy, you know, because I'm someone who, who was working since I was 19 and I never stopped. So life was always running and I was running with it, you know. It's only, I think, when COVID happened that I, I felt the time stopped and like I, I really spent quality time with my family. And honestly, I appreciate that, that time and this moment. <laughs> it's so true because I think when the pandemic rolled around, everyone had to just stop and like just pause, you know, on everything that they were doing and just reflect and introspect on like everything, literally like your personal life, your professional life. It was all like this, 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 this time of reflection and just being able to like, what, how can I pivot? How can I, you know, what, what are my next steps and all of that. Um, but I want to like backtrack a little bit. I want to talk about like your childhood and where did you like, where were you raised and what did you study? I want to know, did you always know that, okay, interior designing and, you know, interior architecture is like my, my passion. It's my thing. And, or did you like, you know, were you like, okay, no, it's something else now, but it's something, you know, it's probably going to change in the future. Well, it's a, it's a really nice story that I always tell about how everything started. It's actually, it was my mother dream. And she, she was the one, let's say, who injected this idea in my head. So I was really a very small kid. Uh, and I started to say my name. And after my name, I used to say decoratrice. It means in French, uh, interior designer. So she taught me to say my name, Saus Saint Chamas, decoratrice, imagine. So I was only like maybe <laughs> one year old. <laughs> That's honestly amazing. <laughs> yes, so I, I think she, um, without her even noticing, but she injected that idea in my head. So I believe that this was my destiny. It was like, you know, it's meant to be. I'm, I'm the only interior designer. I, in my childhood, I had this idea that I'll be the one and only, you know, this is, uh, and this is, I think, something due to, to my mom, basically. Um, my childhood was like really full of uh, love, care, cuddles. 
but I was always a poet. Like um, I used to sit in nature, wake up early, uh, write some poems about flowers, about <laughs> stuff that I see. You know, like I think I was born a romantic and uh, an artist and a born creative. Yeah, just like a creative person, I think. Yes, I guess, you know, I always used to appreciate small things. Whenever I see something, it was always a source of uh, inspiration to me. Um, and this is, this is, I think, this is a gift. And if we go back to the real time where I discovered that I want to be an interior designer, I think it was my teenager years. And those years... Um, I started questioning, you know, like any other teenager, you start questioning, okay, this is my mom's dream or it's my dream, you know? You start questioning, okay, she she always keeps telling me you will be the best interior designer, but I didn't even know what interior design means. Yeah, at that time, there is no Instagram, there is no internet, there is nothing, you know? We, we were not exposed like kids are exposed now. So I, and whenever I ask her, I tell her, okay, what does it mean to be an interior designer? And she will end up telling me, you know, you will move the chair, you will, will move the couch, you will put some flowers here yeah. and some, and I was like, <laughs> okay, that is not really interesting, you know? <laughs> and so I started doing my own research at school in the school library. And this is basically where I discovered this word. I discovered that, no, there's much more than moving a couch and putting, yeah, so there's much more. And then I fell in love and I felt, no, that's it. This is, this is the career I want to pursue. I was maybe in the eighth grade. I was that young. I mean, it's so rare that you kind of like, you know, when you're a child and you have this like inkling that, okay, I want to do this. I want to become this. And it's so rare to be able to still have that same passion when you're an adult and when you want to actually like pursue your career in that field. So it's amazing, honestly. I want to talk about like, so you said you started working when you were 19. What was your first job um, and what did it teach you? At 19, when I say 19, it was my first year at the university. So when I started university, for me, it was a shock. Why? Because I saw more than 30 people, my classmates, they were all doing interior design and they were all doing great. You know, they were doing well. And me, it was my first year. I was starting to draw like in a professional way. I felt, oh my God, I'm not that special. I'm just like them, you know? And I thought, I'm the only one. This is what my mom told me. So this is what happened. So I took the decision. I said, okay, I want to do something that they are not doing. And basically, they were just studying. So I, I, I told myself that if I want to be different, if I want to be better than my classmates, I need to do things differently. So I started looking for an internship. And... Everyone basically used to tell me, no, we're not interested because it was my first year. So there is, I will not give any input to any company. You know, I was just starting. But I insisted and I told them, okay, I would just want to come three days a week. Just, I will do anything. Just, I will watch you work. I'm not going to bother anyone. Please let, let yeah. me come in and all this stuff. And then one of them, he was a big name in Lebanon back then. He told me, okay, if you will come, you will not bother, whatever, and you don't want to get paid, you will just spend a few, uh, like three days a week, then you can come. So I went there, and guess what was my first assignment? (laughs) Well, my first assignment was an eraser. I was erasing drawings, imagine. What do you mean? What, what, What? this job doesn't exist now but back then there were no computers we used to draw by hand and the what we what we call the um, the first part of the project the avant projet that one was being we used to draft it by uh, pen by pen and then if the client doesn't like the ideas to use the papers again we used to erase it, you know, imagine. So just erasing drawings. And, but that, that experience gave me so much. 
because while I was erasing, I was looking at the drawings, I was looking at the design, I was studying the style of uh, that designer. I was getting inspired and knowing the right proportion and the right way to draw. So I learned so much and very fast. And then I started telling him, I can propose. He will tell me, for example, just erase. I'll tell him, okay, we're erasing because the client doesn't like it. Let me propose one idea. Maybe he will like it, you know? So I, in a way, I imposed myself. And at the end of the day, this is what happened. Like he took one of my ideas to the client and the client loved it. And that was it. He, he started trusting me in the design, trusting me in drawings, trusting me in coming up with creative ideas. And at the same time, I was going with him to, uh, to fabricators. So I started to learn how things get executed in the right way, in the proper way. And this gave me a plus. This gave me a plus on my classmates because yeah, at university yeah. we, were, we were like doing creative stuff. But at work, I learned how to execute those creative stuff in the best way possible. I just wanted to like uh, jump right into like, you know, your um, presence when you started actually like making a name and uh, in like Beirut and stuff. So I think you, you started working as an interior designer in a very prestigious firm in Lebanon and in Beirut. Um, what was that like? I just wanted to know a little bit about that experience and, and if you could just tell me. Yeah, so basically the, um, the same office, the same firm I started with as just erasing drawings, uh, I ended up being the the main designer in that same wow. office, yeah, after five oh, wow. years. Okay. It didn't take actually five years. After, I think after three years, I became the main designer. I became the one who approves all the drawings. I became wow. the one who do, who's in charge of all the creative material that is going out of this uh, office. So um, I think um, that, that gave me on a... Um, on a young age, uh, the self-confidence, you know, about my creativity, about the power I have, about also the gift, because for me, this is a gift, a gift that I have. And uh, I was being able to, um, to do big project, big prestigious project, while I was still studying, while I was still in university, because uh, interior design in Lebanon, it's basically interior architecture. And it's not like three years, it's like a master of five years. So we study it for five years. And uh, while studying, I was being able to execute and to design amazing uh, residential project um, at that time in Lebanon. And um, I wanted to stay, I wanted to pursue my career there, but I was in love. And, <laughs> and I followed my heart. That's why I came to Dubai. This was the main reason. I, I didn't come oh looking God, for I the was, job. That was like my next question to you. How, did you. how did you move to the UAE? How did you transition and, you know, like move places and, and move to Dubai? So now I, I have my answer. <laughs> yes, you have the hint. Yeah, so basically in Lebanon, I was like, I was doing great. I was happy with my career, with my job, but then love came across. And uh, I said, okay, I will move because my uh, husband now, he was my boyfriend at that time. And we were, it was like a long distance relationship. He was here, I was there. We could, it couldn't work anymore. So we decided to get married and I came here okay. uh, to the UAE. And I think from the first year and from the first moment I stepped in the UAE, um, I was, I'm not gonna say I was lucky, but I'm gonna say yeah. I was blessed. I was blessed because UAE is a place where gifted people are appreciated, where you are judged, not because you have a name or because you're known, no. Yeah. You will be appreciated because you have something to give. You have a certain creativity. Exactly. So I was young. I came here. I was um, 24 and uh, like doors opened to me. Doors opened to me because they, so they appreciated my skills and how doors opened. Like I got the first project, that project 
uh, they gave me another project for a cousin, for uh, his uh, friend. So I started word of mouth from one client to another. This is how I started. First, I started freelancing the first year. But then I said, okay, I need to look for a stable job while freelancing, while doing some small projects here and there. Um, I worked in the first company for one year. And then uh, it was like more into designing uh, stands for exhibitions and these kind of uh, stuff. I didn't really find myself. I always had bigger dreams. So I moved to another company the year after. And that company, I established their interior design, uh, let's say, um, section. So I, I recruited the people. I put the, the right principles to have a great uh, interior design section because that company was into contracting and into architecture. And they wanted to expand to have also interior design services. So I established that. But then after one year of really hard work, I had this, you know, uh, like eye opener. I felt I'm working so hard day and night to establish a company which is not mine, you know? So I, I was yeah. giving it my all, but I felt I was giving yeah. my all to something that is not mine. Like th this, I had this, I had this vision one day and then I said, you know what? No, you have to work for yourself. This is how I took that decision. It was like, that's it. I took the decision. I said, I don't want to work for anyone anymore. I would just want to work for myself. Yeah, because you put in all of that hard work and the end of the day, you were like working for someone. And is that how you transitioned from like, you know, to entrepreneurship? And is that what made you think that, okay, I want to start my own company. I want to be an entrepreneur and do this put all of this effort into my own company? Actually, it started because, you know, I had a misunderstanding with my boss. Let's, let's, let's make it in a way. Sometimes things happen in life to push you in different yeah. directions. Uh, maybe if I had a great boss and he was great to me and he was really appreciating yeah. my efforts, I would have not taken that decision. But because I felt that I'm sacrificing my time, my family time, staying late at the office, doing everything possible to create something great. And this something is not really appreciated the way I wanted it to be appreciated. So I took that decision. I said, no, my efforts, I will put it for myself. At that time, we were just starting here, me and my husband in Dubai. We didn't have, we didn't have money. We actually had minus a bank loan because we took a loan to get married. So imagine where we started. We started under zero. We didn't start at zero. So taking that decision and stopping a high salary was really a tough decision because we had two salaries and my salary was very high at that time. So it's like cutting all this income and taking the adventure and yeah. starting on your own. Yeah. And this, this was a bit scary, you know? especially living in Dubai. But, um, but you know, sometimes, you, sometimes God sends you signs. So I went to one of my old clients. I was explaining to him. I was telling him I want to open, um, open my own firm. And I want to have in this firm, I want to have a section dedicated to kids' interiors because I felt that there is a niche in Dubai, um, there is a need for that kind of things because you will find so many interior design company, but you will not find, and we're talking at that time, right? We're not talking now. Now you will find many of those. But at that time, we didn't have kids' furniture. We didn't have in, in UAE like really uh, kids' interior design. So all this was like new, new ideas. So I was telling my uh, client about that, and he was like, I told him, okay, I, I want to look for investors, if you can help me do a business plan and this kind of stuff. He told me, you know what, Sausan, I am your investor. You don't need an investor. And I was like, what? <laughs> he said, you don't need a business plan. Just go for it. I'll be your investor. And this is how it started. And this was, is this how K-Kids came into like 
you know, you sowed the seeds for K-Kid. This is how K-Kid started. So I opened a showroom in Jumeirah Plaza. It was a small mall uh, in, uh, in Jumeirah that all the families go there. And K-Kid was a success story, like, because from the beginning, I opened that store. The positive energy that, that was in the store was amazing. Whoever entered the store, he used to say, oh my God, the energy, oh my God, you know, and project started immediately. Like we started signing bedrooms for kids for extremely high amounts. And, and it was really a success story. Uh, that like a dream come true. Yes, it was a dream come true. And I was like, maybe uh, at that time I was uh, 26 years old. I, I was wow. sitting like this in the morning and, and contemplating what did I achieve in such a short period and feel so proud that I just created something from scratch. I created a design, I created a concept, I created a system. And yeah, yeah that was amazing. So um, was that before K-Kids or after? Like, I think I'm assuming it was before. No, so I started with the K-Kids no. and in parallel, in parallel, I started my uh, interior design firm that was K-Interiors. So it was related to K-Kids. Okay. So it was like, oh, okay. like one. Then um, in 2008, uh, sorry, 2007, I changed the name from K Interiors to DPUG. So it was 2007 when I changed the name. Yeah, and then it became uh, DPUG since then. Uh, Meanwhile, because you were asking me about different um, franchises and different adventures uh, I took as an entrepreneur, Uh, You know, I always had this idea in my mind that, okay, I want to have my interior design company. I want to be the one and only interior designer, you know, the dream (laughs) between brackets. (laughs) But at the same time, I, I always had in my mind that I want to have different businesses. Those businesses, yes, will generate income without me being involved in every single detail because as an interior designer and a perfectionist i always knew that my career as an interior designer is where i'm gonna put all my passion all my um, energy and i wanted something to be working in parallel that will help me grow will help me financially also grow but it will be independent where the system can work without me being involved in every single detail. So that's why in, um, after K-Kids, because K-Kids was a success story and I felt, wow, K-Kids is doing great. So in 2007, I said, since K-Kids is doing great and K-Kids, it's a nice system that I have created. Let me find a similar system, but like done abroad, but not for kids. Right. For right. luxury. For exactly. Yeah, okay. So uh, I got a franchise called the Giovanni Sforza, and that franchise, it's an Italian franchise. I think I kept going to Italy from 2005, 2006, 2007, every single year, trying to convince them to give me that franchise. And they always rejected me because they wanted some some company with big experience, with big history. You know, they they didn't really trust me. But they saw how how much I was insisting and how much passion I I had. And I think that's why they ended up giving me the franchise. And saying this, I always say that when you fail one time. It's not failure, just keep going. If you want something really, really bad, you really want it. Yes, just keep just keep going. Like don't take no for an answer. Just keep trying. Keep knocking the doors. Keep knocking, keep knocking. And this is what I did. I got it (laughs) in 2008. (laughs) What happened is that 2008, I got that uh, franchise and I was so happy about, but unfortunately, you know, 2009, the recession hit, uh, hit oh, Dubai, yeah. hit the UAE. And it was like, I think, uh, one of the most difficult um, 
year in every entrepreneur's life that year because it was such a strong recession that hit worldwide but also we were really affected here in Dubai that what was the challenge like because having these i think you had two international franchises i think one was the turkish brand and i'm like if you can obviously tell me what that was but uh, how did you manage then you know with the whole recession and everything the the second brand i got it after the recession ended so at that time i had k kids and i had uh, giovanni sforza during that recession the uh, turkish franchise i got it in uh, 2014 uh, okay. This is when I got again the uh, that Turkish franchise. So Giovanni Sforza, unfortunately, I had to end it. It ended in two thousand and nine, but it didn't end. It didn't end due to the recession. We had a big um, flood in the showroom, okay. and okay. the whole ceiling was full of water, and it destroyed most of the the items I had there. It was like a huge oh accident. God. And I think that accident uh, changed a lot in me as a person, because when it happened, and that that was before the recession actually hit, it was like the beginning of 2009, I was so happy about the franchise, so happy about seeing my dreams coming true. I had K-Kids doing great. I had Giovanni Sforza, amazing showroom. Everyone is covering it. Uh, I was going on TV, everyone is showing what, you know, all the achievements I had. And then this accident happened and it was so strong on me. I invested so much in it. I invested, let's say, all the money I had from 2000 until 2009. All the money I was doing from K-Kids, I invested it in that uh, franchise. Uh, I even took a loan from the bank. So when it happened, it was so hard. And I thought I'm insured because the first thing when you open any new branch, any new showroom, any business, you do the insurance, right? But then when, when, I, when I started like investigating and doing all the stuff, the insurance said, no, we insured you, but we didn't reinsure and it was not covered. So crea- they created a way not to cover what happened. And then I had to go to the to the landlord, and also the landlord the landlord said, "No, this is not our problem. This is the contractor problem. You go to the contractor." So it was a really tough year to be able to to handle and and at the end get all oh, what I, I lost. It's no secret that over and over again we're constantly getting stuck in our careers which is probably why you're listening to this podcast. You could be stuck or demotivated or uninspired and you don't know who to go to for questions or for connections or someone who's been there, done that, which is why we're building an exciting platform called Playbook. Playbook uses the power of storytelling by game-changing women to help you hack your life, both personally and professionally. We're building a resourceful community where you can find the answers to all your questions from mentors and diverse women that are all trying to figure out the ins and outs of their careers. You can be a part of our story from the very beginning and create and build your legacy with us by becoming a founding member. For a one-time fee of $500, you get a bunch of perks, such as lifetime access to our platform, an official founding member certificate that you can share on LinkedIn, and a testimonial for your LinkedIn page plus 20 scholarships in your name to girls and women from different parts of the world who unfortunately don't have access to the education they need. Check out our website, www.getplaybook.com to learn more about how you can be a founding member of our platform. What was the most challenging phase for you as an entrepreneur? And would you say it was this incident? Yes, I think that year was very challenging because... um, It was challenging, but at the same time, I learned so much from it. It was challenging because in one second, I felt it's the end of the dream, you know, because I felt I'm I'm going back to under zero. So, yes, it was like uh, I, I was refusing to accept that this is happening to me. But it's during that year that I remembered the core of my life and the let's say the main thing 
that that I always worked with all my life, which is I'm someone very spiritual, and I believe that I work with one sentence all my life, which is be good to yourself, be good to others, do the maximum you can as a human being in anything you're doing, and then leave the rest for God. You know, this is, this is, this was always my motto. When this incident happened, I was so overwhelmed with police, with, you know, so many things happening, how I'm going to get back what I lost, how I'm going to manage the situation, how I don't want it to affect my other businesses. You know, it was really overwhelming. And like for one second, I forgot the core, my core, which is that sentence. And at one moment, I, I was sitting and I was thinking, and then I, I said to myself, Sausan, remember, you are protected. Remember that what you see now as a problem, it will end it up being... A blessing in disguise. Exactly, it will end up being a blessing. Just do the maximum you can, don't surrender, and then wait. You will see the result. And this is what I did. I actually started fighting. I was fighting everyone, everywhere. I just wanted to get back what I lost. So I went to municipality, I went to police, I went, you name it, I've been there. I sent letters to, to uh, His Highness. I, I did everything that a person can do not to surrender. So I didn't surrender. And after one year, I um, I was compensated on oh on like Sorry. maybe seventy percent of my losses after one year of fighting, fighting. every single yeah. day. And the good thing, also after ten years, I got compensated for the rest. So moral of the story here is that never stop, never fighting, stop, pursuing. and just. Yes, keep yes. your keep your core keep keep that sentence yeah. keep that uh, philosophy of life there keep god by your side keep the universe by your side keep that faith because the faith that you're protected will help you do so many things because if you feel that deep inside you will be able to achieve so many things and there is no accident there is no challenge that will be strong enough to put you down because that challenge will be just, yeah. will give you more flame, will give you more flame to do more and to become more. So, uh, yeah. And what's good about the story is that that year was the recession. It was 2009. And most of the shops that opened, there were open next to me, they all went bankrupt. I was the only one who was saved. Imagine, I was the only one due to that accident that happened in my showroom, that I saw a catastrophe, but it was actually a blessing. All the rest, they suffered. I was the only one who didn't suffer, actually. Well, that's one of a story, I have to say. Um, I want to talk about, like, what do you love the most about being an entrepreneur? Like, besides from obviously all the challenges and everything, what is the one thing that you love about being, like, being able to lead, being able to be the decision maker? Honestly, being an entrepreneur, for me, it's a, it's, a, it's a big word, you know? Like these days we see everyone naming and labeling themselves as an entrepreneur. Every influencer names herself as an entrepreneur. Every person, every business owner name himself as an entrepreneur. I honestly believe that that word is very big. So we need to maybe start to use it less. <laughs> Let's start with this. Maybe we can replace it with business owner. The, the history I had in being an entrepreneur gave me so much, uh, made me learn to be patient, made me learn how to deal with people, um, made me become uh, the person I am today because your job and your career becomes part of you. It's not something that you do. It's who you are. It ends up being who you are. 
So um, I believe like having my own business and opening different businesses and traveling to different countries, like from, I traveled to China when I was just 25, because when I opened K-Kids, I wanted to execute in China. So I had this vision that, you know, the Chinese market will, at the end of the day, be like the right market to produce. I want to like dive deep into your media presence, because I know you do have like, you know, you've done a lot of like appearances um, on social media, off social media. I think you've also like, um, you know, appeared in a lot lot of uh, well-renowned magazines and you've done a lot of TV appearances as well, like NBC, Dubai TV, Sky News. And so how, I mean, has it been easy or has it been hard being like a public figure? And of course, having like a personality, like being a huge personality on the social media as well. How, I mean, is it challenging? Is it hard? Is it not? (laughs) So I I love this question. It's for me, it's, um, it's just a pleasure. Like all those appearances, all those highlights and spotlights. Um, it's just a pleasure to be there. It's just a pleasure to share what I have, to share my knowledge, to share my experiences with others, but also to share my creativity, my designs. So because I have I have a combination of things. It's not only being a designer. I'm a designer, I'm a business owner, I'm an entrepreneur, I have business experience, but at the same time, I'm a very creative person and I have a very artistic um, flair. So being being being, uh, on TV, sharing my uh, knowledge with others, um, for me, it's a pleasure. It's not something I've never looked at it like, oh, I'm looking for fame. I'm looking for, yeah. it wasn't at all like that. It all started, and it started before Instagram, before what we see now, the fame you see on social media and this kind of stuff. It started, I was just a weekly guest on different TV station. They yeah. used to take my professional advice as an interior designer, as someone with experience, and helping the viewers in their homes, giving them tips, giving them the right way to do their homes. So this was, the pleasure was sharing. So when social media started, I wanted to keep sharing because I love sharing my knowledge. I love having others um, know what I know. I'm not someone who hides her ideas. I don't hide my ideas. I'm the opposite. Um, Salsan, you are like a hustler. You are a mother. You are a creative. You are an entrepreneur. Um, you know, you're doing so many things and you're just like, how do you juggle all these different roles together? Honestly, it's, it's, it's not easy. Let's be frank about it and let's be honest about it. It's not uh, if I'm going to tell you, oh, it's a piece of cake. I, I manage my time properly. I know how. No, it's not about that. It depends on the days. Sometimes when I'm overwhelmed, I have so much to do at work. I have deadlines. I have, uh, I have many things that I should achieve career-wise. I stop, I stop being a mom for one day or two until I finish what I have to finish. Then I run. I run like I'm in a marathon. So I run to finish what I have to finish and then I will have time for my family, you know? So it's not like, oh, this is at least, this is how it works for me. It's not like about, yeah, time management, if you allocate two hours of your day for that, two hours for this, and then, no. For me, it's not like this. For me, it's like phases. So I can be two, three days with my family. I just shut off, I put my phone off. I don't uh, interact with the <laughs> with the outside world and I just concentrate, you know, on my family. If I have let's say social events also, I go to the events, I am present with my friends. So I try I try to juggle but like on, not, not on a daily basis. You know, like it depends. So this is this is how I manage. I manage in a way it's kind of organized, but not that organized, not organized on a daily basis. What's important is I try to keep that balance. 
I, I try to be present for my friends when they need me. I try to be present for my family when they need me. Um, and then I'm always there also for my work when my, my work needs me. So this is how I do it. Do you ever feel like everybody around you has things figured out when it comes to their career except for you? Do you look at successful people and want to figure out how do they make a living doing what they love? Do you ever feel like what you're learning in school and university is not what you see yourself doing? Welcome to Playbook, where we're trying to change the dynamic and reinvent career progression for women. We want to be with you every step of the way as you navigate the challenges in your journey. We're building a platform that gives you a community and content that also uses the power of storytelling through shared experiences by game-changing women who've shattered the glass ceiling. Join our waiting list and be the first to know when the platform goes live. Get on get-playbook.com to sign up to our newsletter and be the first to pilot our new technology. What advice would you give to women who are looking to segue into this career and in this space of like creative design or you could say interior design and maybe like starting their own company and of course it's very different from like like having like a job but like leading your own business so what advice would you give to women who want to do the same what i tell them first they should have a role model they have to start from there uh, second they should have a support system because without a support system, you cannot, you cannot uh, open your own business. Even if, even if you're great, you need someone to support you. At least one person support you. I'm not saying financial support. I'm saying support you morally, you know, like you need someone to believe in you. Thank God, I, my husband was very supportive and when when I, when I first opened my own business and I, want, I, I told them I'm gonna quit my job, I, I wanna start my own business, he was there, he said, yes, you can do it. I'm sure you can do it, I believe in you. You need to hear that from at least someone. It's not that you're depending on someone else, no. But this will give you the push. But what's inside, what's inside of you, this is the main drive. This is what will let you go on and on. If you're not passionate about what you're doing, don't do it. You need to have passion about it. It should give you, it should give you joy. If it doesn't give you joy, forget about it. Whatever you're doing should give you that happiness, that satisfaction. Oh my God, look what I did. You know, if, it's, if this is the case, then go ahead and do it. If it's not, don't do it. But if it's the case and you're passionate about it, just do the maximum you can, the maximum. Maximum as a human. Like there's always something more to do, but each person has certain capacities. And I believe if you give something the maximum you can, you will end up reaching and achieving. And this is my advice. Anything, any project, any idea, just give it the maximum you can. You will not lose anything. I want to talk about your collaborations. You've obviously done a lot of different kinds of collaborations with different kinds of brands and, you know, um, whether it was like for your work or anything else. But of course, like a lot of impressive brands under your portfolio. Um, can you can you tell me, like, how do you choose who you collaborate with or, um, you know, what's the process usually like, like, you know, when you collaborate with big brands? Collaborations these days is a... Um also as a as a word we hear a lot you know yeah um i believe the right collaboration with the right person is a win-win collaboration but there's certain collaboration that are lost collaboration for example like you see these days you have so many influencers calling themselves influencers they buy fake followers, they buy fake likes, they even buy fake comments, and they rank themselves as we are influencing people, you know? Certain brands that doesn't have really high experience in this influencing new world, they just go with them in collaboration. But what will be the result? The result will be a fake result, same as 
those figures are completely fake. I believe those brands who collaborated with me and that have chosen to collaborate with me, they know that I don't have millions of followers. They know that I don't have even 100,000. I have less than 100,000. But they also know that those followers are real. Those followers are the target audience they want because most of those followers are from the region and it's shown, it's on my proof. They can find it in the inside. Most on my DPUGIS page, for example, I have more than 45% from the UAE. So the target audience they want, I have. So when a, when a brand comes to me for a collaboration, they know that they will get the result. And this is what happened. Like when a brand gets certain result, they come again the year after and they do again the collaboration. And this is where you know that the first time it was successful because they want to do it more and more. And some of them, they, they send me like appreciation letters saying, thank you so much for collaborating on this. And we had this, this result. So basically the collaboration turned into sale. It, it wasn't only like awareness or something like that. I think uh, this is something extremely important to know in the collaboration. But this is if I'm talking from the brand side, if I'm talking from my side, I don't accept all collaborations. I only choose the brands that, let's say, have something I can share that one, the, I should like it. I should like their product. The, the product should look like me. Yeah. I cannot just go with the collaborations for something that usually I don't like or I don't use. So we, we should have, it's a win-win situation. It should be mutual. So I deal with luxury. I'm expert in luxury. And this is what the brand feel. And this is what I want. So I keep, I keep my standards high like all, all the names I work with, if it's in the design field or if it's in the fashion field, they are all ranked as luxury. So I, I don't go down with, the, like with my choices of uh, collaborations, basically. That makes sense. I want to actually talk about like the makeovers that you've done of houses um, that were featured, I think, in like a show. Um, I think you did uh, collaborate with like a Spanish brand and like an Italian brand, if I'm not mistaken. And then, you know, you had like this, I think, um, and then it did get featured in Vogue and Harper's Bazaar and everything. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? I really would like to know more into like, how, what was the process like? <laughs> this actually, it was such a nice project I worked on. It was, it was a collaboration when I was doing my house makeover. So I took this house in Al-Barari that was totally empty and it was just a plain house, same as the developer uh, handed over the house. And then I created this makeover. But before creating the makeover, I contacted different brands in the design field and the furniture field, in the uh, building material field as well. So I agreed with them that uh, we collaborate, we build this house, we do the fit out, we do the design, and I will tag them for a period of one year. So it wasn't a collaboration, like one-time collaboration or like a short period. So it was a one year and it was divided, like we start collaborating when we're building and then we continue while I'm living in the house, while I'm showcasing the result, why I'm doing the lifestyle, how I'm living in this house. So that was a very successful collaboration for all the brands. And this is not me saying that, this is all those brands, they sent me recommendations, send me thank you letters, that they, they got actually big project after the collaboration they did with me. And uh, it was a really success story. So I did after that, like some episodes showing the before and the after and how the house, 
how the house yeah. changed. It was like a house without a soul, without spirit. And then you feel it's cozy, it's warm, it's design oriented. Yeah. And it was designed in a very particular way. And that's why, that's why let's say, Vogue, Harper's, uh, Moje, uh, Marie Claire, all those big magazines, they were attracted by the house and they featured the house because it was totally different than what you see in the market, totally different than the repeated styles you see. It was based on statement pieces, on experience, on a story. So that collaboration had a story to tell. And this is, I think, um, what attracted everyone to, the, to, the, to that house, yes. We like to end all our podcasts with one question, which is, what is your superpower? My uh, superpower is my faith. I think I mentioned this before, but I believe that yes, that yes, my superpower is my faith. And I truly believe that if God is your ally, it doesn't matter who is your enemy. And the sentence I shared with you before about being good to others, to yourself, and do the maximum you can, and then let God handle the rest. I think this is a magical magical sentence and this is my superpower believing i'm protected is my superpower and keeping god as my ally this is my superpower because i believe that i have his powers with me so i can achieve anything i can face anything nothing is hard enough hard enough not to handle so i can handle anything and everything is God, if God is by my side. So I try always to keep God by my side to always feel this power. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to an episode of the Women Power Podcast. And thank you for downloading and streaming our podcast every week. If you love what you've heard, tag us on Instagram and follow the Women Power Podcast and Women Power Summit account for more information on our next episode. Please leave a rating review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps other women discover the show. That's it from me. See you next week.